Welcome back to Cooper Duper, Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I'm Mikey. And we are back, and hopefully this episode will not be 17 and a half hours long. Challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, we are... If it uh, is, it's because of nothing in this episode. I feel like yeah, this while is... this episode is great, I don't have much insight on it. Yeah, it was also pretty straightforward, as much as a Lynchian thing can be straightforward. I mean, the like, first Like, everything half... was linear. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. I mean, there's definitely some weird shit, you know? Yeah, of course. But... I'm not... Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we start... So we are on uh, season three, part 11. Um, we start with three boys playing catch, um, back and forth, and one of them misses a ball... It rolls into the street across the way. I was, even though I've seen this before, I was sure this kid is going to get hit by a car because that's sort of what <laughs> I've been trained to expect. Um, but instead, even more horrifying, he sees the bruised and bloodied body of Miriam Sullivan, who is mm-hmm. has esca- apparently escaped her trailer yeah. and was looking for help. Um, so that was a thing those boys are going to talk to their therapists about in 10 years. But like... Also, they handle it really well. Like, the kid, like... Pretty chill kids. Is, but, like, go get mom. Mm-hmm. We need to get help. But mm-hmm. also, like, I'm not going to... I don't know. I, you know, doesn't approach the body, but, like... Right. We're going to get help, but it's not my place to do it. Like right. I am not the adult here. Smart children. Like, right. But, like, very smart children. Uh-huh. Their whole approach to it. And, like, that, that oldest brother, the one who, like, pushes... Like, even when they're, like, playing catch. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Like, it's... A good, healthy, like, supportive, yeah. like, brothers. Like, mm-hmm. for such a short sequence of we just need someone to find Miriam right. and have a reason for someone to find Miriam. But, like, these little boys are good children. Uh-huh. Like, you know, yeah. like it, Which you had said, is this Twin Peaks or is this South Dakota? This is, this is Twin Peaks. This is Twin Peaks. Because you had mentioned that, like... Kids in Twin Peaks are like even worse off than they were oh, yeah. in the '90s. So maybe this is a generational shift of like children now mm-hmm. are are kind of coming back and being wholesome and pure. Or maybe David Lynch just thinks that images of Americana are very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um. So Becky receives a frustrating call concerning Stephen. So Becky is uh, big eyes. Amanda Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried. She's very talented. I've seen her in a lot of things. Her name won't stick in my head. Um, Amanda Seyfried receives a frustrating call concerning Stephen. So this is the man who beat the shit out of her. Right. Her husband. Her husband who beat her up maybe yesterday, maybe a month ago. Yeah, I guess we don't really know when it is. Right. And like he, yeah, but he was like choking. Like he wasn't hitting her, but he was like choking yeah, her. Yeah, he was attacking like, her more yeah, than hitting sure. her would be more accurate. Um, so she begs her mother, but, Shelley. But that oh. is to say, there's no like bruising or anything like that. So this could have been today, yesterday, whatever. Right. Like this isn't like, or the, there are could... marks on her because of that attack. Yeah. Right. Um. So she begs Shelley, her mother, for her. Car. Also, we have no idea who made that call. Or what they were, we don't. We can assume what they were telling her, based on where she goes from there. Like I have to go, and she goes to the apartment of what is Gersten Hayward. Uh. Um, that somebody called her to tell her he's fucking around on you. Again. Yeah, he's he's you know, screwing around with you with specifically with Gersten Hayward because she goes to her apartment. Right. Um. 
so she begs Shelly for her car. Um, she grabs a pistol from beneath the couch. Um, Which, what? That's a fucking weird place to. That feels like a, like a a real place. People like without kids would hide their guns. Like the kind of Maybe. people who really always always hope that there's a home invasion so they get to shoot somebody and yeah. be the hero. Like that's where those kinds of people would keep their yeah maybe um, their guns. So um, so Becky runs to the car. Um, she does she snag the keys from Shelly? Is that what she's doing? I felt like she like snagged them and ran to the car, but maybe maybe I'm misremembering. Oh, oh. when the car when she runs oh. after Shelly gets so yeah when when, when Shelly gets gotcha. there I I didn't catch gotcha. it. Um. Yeah, I, I don't I don't recall, but she took like Shelly shows up, which also like is great. Like the, like it's an interesting dynamic that we're setting up about how Shelly will do anything on a dime to help her daughter mm-hmm. in a way that's almost not helpful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, like she's an, an absolutely, enabler. absolutely, and 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 you can see. This is a frequent occurrence by Norma's reaction to Shelly as she leaves. Like, uh-huh. you're going to bail her out of some sticky situation she got herself into again. Sure. You know what I mean? And not to say that I don't want to be like victim blaming her. Like, right? But she's going after somebody with a gun. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, it's clearly beyond. She's the victim and he's the perpetrator. Right. It is a it's, mutually destructive relationship. Exactly. Thank you. Um. Also, I want so we we've talked about there's there seems to be a theme each episode that we're trying to find or, or multiple themes, but yeah, um, which is just a Mikey Grafe theory, right? I, this I isn't mean, yeah, I, I, this isn't like David Lynch said there's a theme throughout each sure, each of this, and each I I think it's just that ten like the way these episodes are lumped together because I don't think I think he shot all this not knowing the order. Uh-huh. Of everything, exactly. I mean, obviously, some things need to come before other things and whatever, but... Linear time yeah. does still have an effect on David Lynch sometimes. Somewhat, yeah. <laughs> but also, like, there's sometimes, like, I just... I feel like all of these gun-related sequences should go together. Mm. You know what I mean? There's a lot of gun references in this episode. Sure. Let's put... Because a sequence like the Bobby Briggs diner, Bobby shut like... And that, like the gunshot that he's dealing with the kids outside, that could go anywhere. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, this is the only, yeah. maybe the only time you ever see uh, Gordon Cole draw a gun. Yeah, it was. And it, like, he doesn't do anything with it. He just holds it at his side. But you don't see him with a gun very often. Like, yeah, which I feel like is genuinely more, from my understanding of police work, is more true to life than what we normally see on TV. Like, most cops do not draw their gun very frequently, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. That it's, because every time, I mean, <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm saying, like, genuinely, in, in theory, most cops, like, can count the number of times they drew a gun, or maybe just fired their weapon, but either way, like, having your gun out is not a thing that's super common for cops. Like, obviously, we see it in this, like, sort of rampage of police violence, Sure, but for each individual cop, it is not a frequent thing to have I think, to I think the difference is, and what you don't see a lot of in this is, well, the like, the FBI guys, they're drawing their guns because they're not designed for quick release. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, I've got this on me for safety, it's not designed. It's not a design for quick release. Mm-hmm. 
holster, you know? Uh-huh. So I'm going to pull it all the way out in case I need it. Mm-hmm. Whereas sheriff and, you know, beat cops, they just have their hand. They unbuckle that little clip uh-huh. and they have their hand there, but it's not drawn. Mm-hmm. That way, because they can pull that out quickly. Whereas reaching into your jacket and pulling out a gun in an FBI is, is this- harder. That's my thought. That, is that based on anything you've heard or just no I, just from all of, the movies I see yeah. like the like it seems like protocol is is if, if you're right pop hit culture as well like but protocol. like right absolutely but what you see frequently is right hip your weapon is usually on your right hip I mean you could probably change that but then you you're controlling with your left hand like pointing at them what to do and stuff like that whereas you put yourself not to be flush so that you're not so that you're a smaller target and your gun is behind you behind you know the person you're engaged with Mm -hmm. and then that way you can't they can't see when you're drawing and things like that it's shielding the weapon i don't know that just seems like the the way to approach it but i don't obviously know i've never been a cop um but i don't know what you're looking up but you're very intent yeah i'm just reading some statistics only a quarter of officers have ever fired their service wep- weapon while on their job. Mm. Still, even a I don't I don't know that I like the word only. <laughs> no, I under, I understand, but I just I'm trying to uh, the I'm just trying to frame the fact that like the fact that this is the first time seeing Gordon Cole is probably more like the norm of how police generally oh, works for sure. than you know, in movies when they pull out their gun every every five seconds. Sure. Um, anyway. But also, like, in movies, you're only seeing high-stakes situations right. because that's dramatic and that's television or whatever. Right. So you're those are going to be the instances when they pull a gun. You're not going to, you know... Like, Bobby didn't pull his gun on the woman in the car because he didn't... In fact, he put it back right. away when, you know... Um, anyway, that's that's a tangent. That's neither here nor there. Um, so Becky runs to uh, so Becky grabs the car. She starts driving. Shelly ends up on the hood, um, and so she's which just kind of shows her absolute like I will I I will literally don't my give body. a shit yeah. about my own well being. Mm-hmm. All I care about is my child. Yeah. Um. She so she's flung off, kind of next to the uh, next to a trailer. Um, and a great stunt. Whoever did that, stunt yeah, work, it looked it, great. It reminded good me of flip, um, the way the shoes come flipping. Yeah, off, I noticed like, that too. Yeah, it might, that stunt always reminds me of what's that Quentin Tarantino? There's a couple of short films. Uh, the Dead, Grindhouse. Grindhouse. The yeah. Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino ones. Yeah, that's always what that Death makes Proof. Me. Death is, Proof is, is what I'm the, thinking of. Yeah. Um, What's the other one? Death Proof and... Machine Gun Leg. <laughs> Machine Gun Leg. Uh-huh. Uh, Planet Terror. Oh, I wouldn't have come up with that in a million. I feel like Death Proof that's was like... That's the Rodriguez one, and Death Proof is the Tarantino one. Oh, that tracks. But so that's she... that's also Zoe Bell, who's the woman in... The stunt. Yeah, she's yeah. an actual working stunt. stunt woman, and she plays the same character. So I the interesting tidbit about that is I saw this. I think this is in that stunt woman doc that I talked about a while ago. Um they kept doing the scenes where she's doing those stunts where she's riding the hood and whatever yeah. and they're filming it and she's like I felt that one felt that one felt really good and she talks to Tarantino about it and he's like 
yeah, but do you know what you're not doing? She's like, no, I, that one felt really good. Yeah. I think he's like, I need the whole point of casting you in this is so that I can see your face. Like, oh. you've been trained so much to always be, like, tucking your head away from camera yeah. or put your hair in your face so that you can kind of disguise who you are. He's like, I want to see you. Yeah. That's the whole beauty of, yeah. like, letting you be the person, like, the same person doing all this is that I can get sure. close-ups. I can see you. Which they do. I remember they go a lot through the windshield. Oh, yeah. Which is a... And but they, isn't she this way? Isn't she... She all over the Oh, place. is she? She starts, she climbs out, and then... Then they attack Sorry, her. Sorry, I was and then indicating she falls, that she had her back yeah, to her. To she the windshield. falls back because is she tethered? To, uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that used they, to be one of those things that we would like. They they have like belts that they stri- they close into the car doors. Oh, and so she has yeah, those, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and then yeah, and um, then she's flipping around all over the place on there after the Kurt Russell attacks them or whatever. Yeah, I haven't seen that since college, and that was definitely the like. When we're having like a cool night, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you want to watch Death Proof tonight? Or you want to watch really? Last House on the Left? I had some cool alt friends. We wore a lot of eyeliner as a rule. Um, anyway, so uh, Carl sees her and he, sa- he says something. So sweet. Oh, he truly is a weird, wonderful character. He's because he sees her and is like clearly really scared and like affected mm-hmm. by it. Mm-hmm. And then she immediately is like, I need you to get me to town or whatever she says. Uh, and he yeah. pulls out a fucking penny whistle. <laughs> <laughs> and like, what, who, like, and then. And it looked like it was just like holstered. Speaking of which. And then like, his VW, just <laughs> his, his bus, which we never see that driver. We've seen that car before because yeah. he rode into town with the other guy with it. Like, who. It's very like Shadowfax and Lord of the Rings that Gandalf is just like yeah. in the middle of Middle Earth and whistles and Shadowfax is like, hello, it's yeah. me, the Lord of all horses. <laughs> I'm here. And this whole sequence, like, the the score in this sequence is really dark mm-hmm. and, like, like a lot of deep register. Like, it's it's gritty. It's disturbing. This whole fucking scene is, is scary. Yeah. Yet it's bright out. And then, like, in the middle of it, fucking Car Raj just like, <laughs> like, blowing his fucking whistle. Like, there there's a real talent that... I don't know if anyone else can do or anyone else even tries to do, but Lynch does extremely well is being able to find comedy in the middle of like real tragedy. Can I point you to Jordan Peele? Because I feel like Us was one of my favorite meldings of a genuinely very scary, frightening, disturbing movie. Sure. And also like like knee slapping funny but sometimes. I think I think horror and comedy is easier to do I think then, I think this is like trauma and tragedy um, and he can crack a joke in there and you're like it's fine I'll, I'll allow it I know I'm just thinking about and spoilers for us I guess skip forward a couple seconds if you haven't seen it or just stop this watch that and then come back we'll be here um there's this scene when um the white family is all getting mauled and he's he's covered in blood and he's crawling to try to get to the phone and he goes Ophelia or whatever he says her name is call the police and they start playing fuck the police Mm. and so we're watching this man like I guess you're right that is more but it's not Right. It's not light horror like some things can be it's not campy it's uh, is it campy? I don't know would you consider us in the campy campy horror vein? It's no, because it's 
done very earnestly. Mm-hmm. Like the the jokes are meant to be jokes mm. instead of like this is funny because of how stupid it looks when their head gets cut off or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The the comedy comes from purposeful the comedy. Jokes, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I I don't know that like. Like, and all of the first season was like that, too, with, like, you're treading on some really, really, the autopsy, or, you know, not the quite the autopsy, but Cooper comes in and he's investigating the fingernails, and the guy yeah. comes in and he's like, can we have a minute? Can we have a minute? Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. it's just silly. It cuts but, attention a little bit. Yeah, but it's, it's just such a masterful way where mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like, they're giving me a joke to, to lighten the mood. Well, what they're doing is giving you just, like, a little bit of a breath. Yeah. To, and I, I feel, I read a lot more, um, uh, like, thriller. I read more thrillers mm-hmm. than than you, certainly. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, how many books have you read this year? Yeah, it, at least. Half of one? If I say double digits... Zero zero does not count as double does, digits. Does, or I guess not double digits. I just mean like multiple. two. Two. Not so, even two. So Actually, this, wait, this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 2021. I'm, I don't know. It's March. I don't read. Don't read. <laughs> I don't read much. But anyway, I, I think you see that a little more in um, in thriller books because because the span of a book is so much longer than a movie in general. Mm-hmm. And so your scenes of tension are not four minutes or ten minutes sure. they're an hour that you're just like reading through this and so they have to give you like yeah a way to not get too bogged down and, and still sort of take a step back um so shelly calls norma and immediately is like what am i supposed to do and i wanted if i was norma i'd be like how why am i me <laughs> which i know of course Ma- but again, norma is the mother figure it plays on this whole like parenting theme mm-hmm. that's running it throughout at least the first half of this episode mm-hmm. is you know parenting like these first kids we see were clearly parented very well even the little boy is parenting his little brothers in some sense you know uh, immediately uh becky doesn't know what to do she calls her mother yeah her mother comes running and then her mother doesn't know what to do so So she she calls calls her her motherly figure figure, who you know is norma and it's it's just yeah it's just all of the different actual parents and parental figures and how they found families and all that fun stuff uh so carl reaches out to maggie who's a dispatcher um who then patches them through to bobby which i really liked the way they showed us that whatever is happening is happening a lot because she keeps picking up the phone someone's on their way not yet that's that's the next time we see maggie oh and it's oh, after that... she fires the gun. After oh, after oh, she okay, shows sorry, up yes. at, at the apartment and shoots several times, presumably she's getting all those cars calls because everyone's saying, hey, someone just unloaded a clip into the sure. fucking door in my apartment building. Um, Is anybody, is this the, excuse me, is this the first time we find out that Shelly is now Shelly Briggs? This is first because they say Shelly Briggs calling we, for Bobby Briggs. Have we yeah. heard that explicitly before? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Uh, we do see that she has a wedding ring around her neck. Okay. I didn't know um, that. But also at the same time, the first inter- 
thing we see with Shelly is her with Red, and Red mm-hmm. gives her like the the like finger, finger gun thing, and she kind of blushes, like she's clearly not still with Bobby, right? But this is this is where you get spelled out in no uncertain terms. They were married. They were married, and Becky is their child, right? Not the child of anybody else or whatever. Um. So, Bobby. So then Shelly tells Bobby about what's going on. So we see Becky. She enters an apartment building. Um, she's told that he just left. Uh, that Stephen so, just left. But she enters this, and you see this stairwell. The first shot, the opening, or like the establishing shot for this new location, is really, really interesting. Like, the connections between Becky and Laura are really intriguing to me. Okay. Just like the like the imagery of just this on the surface beautiful young blonde girl who seems to have her life together to some regard, but like is covering up a lot of dark shit. Uh-huh. Um, She's leading leading a double life. In a lot yeah, of ways. and you know the whole the 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 drug sequence in the car and that whole look, mm. and then this sequence. The first shot you get is. Basically the exact same shot of the stairwell that we always see in the Palmer house. Oh. But looking down. Interesting. Instead of looking up. Okay. Which I I, I don't know. Or is if, there just a finite way means. to there a finite number of ways to shoot a staircase? Yeah, but you don't need to see it. Yeah, true. You you see and it's this, you know, probably seven steps landing another seven steps. Uh-huh. So that shape is almost like the way the railing goes up. You see a rail, like it's the same type of stairwell. The way the other stairwell goes up to like that balcony and it it doesn't go to more stairs. It goes to like a little hallway Uh in the Palmer house. But it looks like the, it looks like if you were to take the shot, you always see of the stairwell in the ceiling fan and reverse. and do a reverse shot from the top looking down it looks like the same thing right and it i don't know it it just stands out to me as being that okay uh so becky uh finds out that he just left um, and so she just fucking fires the gun at the door yeah, just a few unloads. times yeah um and then we kind of see that steven is hiding from becky uh at the bottom of that stairwell with gersten hayward who we just kind of have to know yeah, I it's don't... Alicia Witt, so she's semi known as an actress. She's you know maybe B level, maybe C level caliber actress. Like I know her from Walking Dead. Yeah, and she's on something more recently. She's she's an actress. She's a working actress. She's been in lots of stuff, lots of TV. Uh-huh. She's in some. She's in Cecil B. Demented, that John Waters movie. Um, she's in a bunch of stuff. But she was in the original Twin Peaks, briefly, as, as a, a child. child. So, like, you have to just kind of know that's her. Like, she's the one in, like, the fairy costume playing the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so you just kind of have to know that that's Gersten Hayward. Because I don't know that we ever get her name outside I, of the credits. I did not realize Alicia Witt is a prolific, <laughs> a prolific uh, Hallmark 
Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, she's definitely working. She played um, a character named Melody Jones in our Christmas love song. Get it? Oh, no. No, Because Melody is like in. I can't see. What is that? What is that? Those is that a metaphor? Is that what you call them? Metaphors? It's not. It's just. Is it no? It's what is we call a... on the nosism in writing. Oh, on the nosism. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. The mistletoe in. Anyway. Anyway. Uh. So. And her name was Miss Elto. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> so. We go back to Buckhorn. So uh, this is South Dakota. This is where we have um, all of our FBI boys. Um, and girls. And girls. We've got uh, Hastings, who leads the FBI detective uh, Mackley to the location where he claimed to see uh, Major Briggs. Albert and Gordon spot a woodsman after Bill tells Preston about his activity in the house he brought them to. Who's, who's not permanently there? That was a sentence I got really lost in. Did it make sense when I said it out loud? They all show up, and Gordon and Albert see the woodsman. That's all. Okay. Um, but is- they, but they also, he's not a, a, you know, consistent figure. He's fading in and out. Like mm-hmm. they see him, and they, and they don't react in a way that's like, oh, hey, there's somebody. Let's question him, or let's talk to him, or whatever. They see he just kind of taps and goes, "Do you see that there was a man who just faded out into nothingness over there?" Mm-hmm. And they're both like, "Yep, yep." Like they know this isn't normal, and that's not just a person walking around, right? Right. Who just happens to be covered in blood? Right. So. That's not just like a homeless man who's finding shelter here. Right. Yeah. So Cole and Albert start to approach the house. So this is where the what is this house? So is the last this place is, he saw someone? Yeah. This is when he did that whole oh, spiel Bruce. about getting going to quote unquote the zone uh-huh. where he met the major what he remembers is going to this location going through this hole in the fence and then I don't remember okay I don't know what happened the next thing I know I wake up and he had Ruth dreams is, that he was in Ruth's exactly. this is when and the, Ruth where is that dead is. this is I but I don't know I can't put these things together so this is very much them saying okay we need to find the last place he remembers right and we're gonna try to put it together from right. there um, so Cole and Albert approach the house, um, and so only Cole can see the vortex. It's it's interesting because it's it's kind of a layered dynamic. Okay, Cole sees the vortex or whatever is the spinning thing yeah. going, and starts seeing into it and what's on the other side, and is, and then you see, so you see, Gordon's point of view of that what uh-huh. he's seeing, then you take one step back and you see. Albert sees? Albert sees which is like he's getting blurry uh-huh. and like like kind of fu- like cutting in and out it seems like he's seeing something uh-huh. but I don't know what's what he's connected to and then you go back to a wide shot and everyone's just it looks like he's just standing there staring into the sky yeah like nothing at all Aren't is his happening. arms up too he starts something? kind of reaching up at, yeah, at one it's point very Dougie-esque of yeah. just like yeah just sort of out of control of your own actions. Right. And honestly, it's funny that you mentioned that because that was something I wanted to mention later. Like at the end of this episode when the Mr. Jackpots lady uh-huh. is talking to Dougie and he's just staring off into space. Can he see something? Huh. Like there's several times where he's staring into nothingness. And a lot of times they show us what he's seeing. Right. 
So are you positing that these but other so, times he's also seen something, but maybe like you said, they're not important to the plot? Sh- something. Like, is he getting direction from something? Is mm. he... Is this the same way, like, we don't see what... If we're back by Diane and and um, Tammy and them, like, we don't... Diane and Tammy don't know that Gordon Cole saw some weird portal shit. Where right. He saw three wood, woodsmen standing on the top of a fucking set of stairs. Right. They don't know that because they just see him staring up into the sky like an idiot. Right. Um, so it makes you wonder how much does Dougie see? Sure, that we're that not we're not privy, privy to. to. Yeah. Um. So Cole sort of starts to pass through the vortex, um, and then he sees, like you said, that group of woodsmen on the staircase, and then Albert pulls him back. The vortex disappears. Um, and then Albert finds he pulls him back like right at the time where like it looks like like he's getting like he's starting to go into yeah. whatever it is, which is because then he says like, well, now we know, which is that's what happened to Hastings. He went there, yeah, saw this in. weird fucking thing, and got pulled in yeah. or went walked in or whatever. Right. Ended um, up in this other place. So and then so this vortex disappears, and then we see a decapitated human woman's naked body on the on the ground Correct. that had not been there before. Right. We assume, unless that uh, vortex was... Not necessarily. They may have just not seen it. it. Yeah. She's it, off to the side and kind of among some brush and stuff, right. so... Um, and the first thing they did is see this, and so they're, look, they're you know, that's a just major distraction. Sure, sure, sure. Vortexes, vorte- vortices tend to distract oh, yeah, me, yeah, too. Yeah. I just need to... I like correct pluralizations. Okay. That's why I say attorneys general and oh. Coles de sec. It's a cute quirk of mine that's not annoying, right? Oh, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> and I, I didn't even notice it was a thing. <laughs> um, Albert then finds a movie. That, so they see his body. They assume it's Ruth Davenport, which I mm-hmm. think is a pretty solid connection. Good job. Um, oh, so he mentioned she wrote numbers on her hand, and then they see a bunch of numbers written on her arm. Mm-hmm. Um. So they take a picture of the numbers that are on her arm. Don't seem like they're in any any special hurry to like call a crime scene unit or anything. They're like, oh, here she is. Take mm-hmm. pictures. Take pictures. Bye, dead, dead, decapitated body. Hope mm-hmm. coyotes mm-hmm. don't find you. Um. So, Diane, so as they're taking pictures, uh, Diane notices a woodsman who's approaching Mackley's car, kind of from the back. She doesn't say anything. Um, and then all of a sudden... And kind of even like looks away like to pretend... Doop, to, doop, boop, boop. I didn't see anything. As though she wants whatever is about to happen to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we have Hastings, who is um, um, shaggy in the back seat. <laughs> and we have JJ in the driver's seat. And they're kitty corner from each other, right? Yeah. So <laughs> all of a sudden you just hear like a... <laughs> Well, you hear, like you get a shot of <laughs> Shaggy. You get a shot of of Hastings, and he's like grinding his teeth in such a way, and you can hear like a really gross, like like crunching noise. Like he's breaking his own teeth. It, like he's crushing his own whatever. So, like something is compressing his head or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you cut back to Mackley in the front seat, and you just hear it, and mm-hmm. then. Blood splatters in from the backseat. It's not great. I did not watch it. Um, Mackley 
screams, he summons the FBI agents, and Gordon Cole looks at the car and oh, says, beautiful line. He's dead. <laughs> oh my god! Listen, I need all available backup at 2240 Sycamore. 2240 Sycamore. There's no backup for you. What the hell happened, Mackley? He's dead. And when it's they great. show him. Again, but another one of those moments of like perfect levity, but like. They all take, they don't react to it as a joke. They all take it serious. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. And, and I, it's like, I love it. When they show the body, it's like basically from his nose up. Yeah. It's just gone. It's just exploded. It's just yeah. donezo. Uh, so we go back to the Double R Diner. I really liked, I liked this scene. I really enjoyed sort of the little emotional journey we went on or maybe just me maybe i'm speaking for myself i'm gonna tell you my emotional journey you tell me how it hit you what scene is this uh the double r diner so we have bobby shelly becky got it got it and so we have bobby and shelly next to each other in the booth across Mm -hmm. from uh becky Mm -hmm. and so now this is our first time seeing these three people as a family family. um and they both both Shelly and Bobby are very much like, we want to help you. We're worried about you. Like, it's like a low-key intervention of, like, mm-hmm. we can't keep, like, this can't keep going. Um, and what I really liked is, for me anyway, as somebody who's, like, deeply nostalgic and very invested in relationships between people, I was like, oh, my God, Bobby and Shelly are going to get back together and they're going to be this <laughs> beautiful couple again. And then immediately beautiful as soon as... Is- not just like oh they're a beautiful couple they're a gorgeous couple (laughs) yeah yeah two beautiful humans gorgeous (laughs) people like of course their kid is Amanda Seyfried she looks like a fucking Disney princess um but I had this moment like oh my god maybe they're this family is gonna be reunited by this Mm -hmm. tragedy and then as soon as the scene is over Shelly sees her boyfriend and starts like like being very Mm -hmm. like schoolgirlish. what you want her to be with Bobby yeah and it's like oh which is well, you see that Shelly never really grew up. Oh, that's... Oh, I like that. Okay. Bobby Bobby did. Yeah. Bobby grew up and became a, a better human and a, a better person and took control of his life, and Shelly never really did. That's something but, I but never also, considered, that she... And there's absolutely nothing wrong with the service industry, but she's had the same job since she right. was 18 or she's, whatever. She, I, it, to me, it seems like someone who... Her growth as a person was stunted at 15 or 17 or whatever. And I like would she, say she, that she, she married Leo and she shouldn't have, yeah. she, you know, doesn't really have parental guidance. Norma Did is her ever mother. Did hear anything about her actual biological parents? There's the whole thing with like her potential MT Wentz, the food critic thing. About that being, I remember that guy existing. I don't that remember. guy is her mom potentially. Like it's claimed to be her mom, but then they negate that in the books later. But that, it's that it's the like she she's the like the mom comes into town. Oh, but I'm I'm your mother, and I'm a food critic, and this is Ernie, my new husband, 
and we're in town. It's that whole thing. Did which, we talk about it on this episode? <laughs> I have not on this episode. No, on this podcast because I have no. Do you remember Ernie Niles? I remember. I remember the food critic bit because what's his face came back and tried to put tablecloths right. in a double R. Right. That is. And the, the woman end who comes of- in, total bitch. Like she was just like, oh well, these are you using flaked mashed potatoes? Wasn't that? Wasn't that Shelley's? Or not, yeah, wasn't that? Wait. Oh, that was Norma's mom. Yeah, Norma's you're right. You're mom. right. You're right. You're right. Um, you're right. Ooh, okay, hold on to your tweets, no, you're y'all. Right, you're right. Please don't tweet us about this. And if you have already, just yeah, delete it. But I mean, it. no, those are that's totally one of those storylines that I don't, goes nowhere. Yeah, I, well, I forget about it. Like, it, I don't invest. But absolutely, you're right. That was normal. Woo! Um, Wait, Mike, you just say that one more time. Absolutely, Jessica, my wife, you were right. Yay! That's um, my new ringtone. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if we get any Shelly Yeah, heritage. I don't think we do. Which it makes sense that, like, not that all people who marry young do not have good relationships with their parents, but I think her relationship with Leo mm-hmm. became her substitute for having any parental guidance. Well, she's he was family older. of any yeah. kind. She needs some kind of family. Yeah. Um, so uh, they, the three of them talk about what's going on with Becky. Um, Norma's kind of eavesdropping. Um Bobby and Shelly advise... Uh, you you almost see in this scene that, like... I get the impression that trying to raise Becky is what split them up. Like, the way, like, everything Becky says, and Bobby's trying to be like, well, I understand, but you want... Like, I can do that. We need to we need to find common ground here. And mm-hmm. he's trying to reason the situation, and Shelly just keeps being like, that's okay, I'll take care of it. And he keeps, like, side-eyeing her, like, stop it. You can't keep enabling her like this. Which is funny, because it seems like the opposite of the relationship that we saw when they were both teenagers or young people or whatever, that, like, he was super reckless, and she was like, I have a husband, and Mm -hmm. I, like, when he comes home, I have to have my shit in order. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's an interesting, yeah, I really, I do like the sort of swapping that Bobby and Shelly did, that Mm -hmm. he, and, you know, did... Him losing his father inexplicably at a young age mm-hmm. kind of snap him out of it. Because, like, we've met his mom. His mom is pretty stoic and, yeah. like, he had to step She's up She's, yeah, an, you know, an army man's wife. Like, right. That, that seems to track that, you know, he keeps a stern household and she matches that. Right. You know. Um, Shelly and Becky embrace. Uh, Red comes to see Shelly and they plan to get together. And then we hear... A gunshot. Before that. Before this gunshot, Like, I feel like you're just... This whole scene is incredible. I'm just reading through this. I'm sorry. But that's what I'm saying. I I thought you had more to say about it, too. The whole scene. Just the whole scene. The whole dynamic. Like, there's great stuff in this scene Mm -hmm. about about abuse and about the way people deal with abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, Becky's reactions to everything. There's There's also a moment that I love that I noticed this time through that when she's explaining, oh, but... He's he's okay. He'll get better and all this. You know, the only reason I haven't busted him is because I was hoping he would try to get yeah. better for you and whatever. There's a shot and he's Bobby's fist is sitting on the table like like tight clenched, clenched fist, and he and his right and his left hand is over the top of that fist like almost holding it down. Oh, like he's he's furious. I'm this fucking guy is ruining my child uh-huh. and ruining and, my life. And then my fucking wife, ex-wife, separated wife, is, like, helping? 
right. in a way of like you you need to be on my side to help her, help her get right. out of this. You don't need to help her like how to deal with it. You right. need to help her out of this. Yeah. And it's just this whole family dynamic is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked this whole thing. Um, I We talked a little bit while the show was on about when he said, oh, if it weren't for your relationship, he I would have locked him up by now. And I yeah. was like, ah, feels like a pretty irresponsible use of your your duty as a... Because pr- it's not like he's a low-level like weed dealer. Like, yeah, like let that go. But this guy's known to be violent. Yeah, but also... And is a lunatic. But also, I don't think he knows the... Bobby knows the extent of it. Because at, at the one point later in that conversation, he says, wait, does he ever hit you? Like, he's... And she's uh, like, w- w- no, and gets like really defensive about it. Yeah. Like, like he knows he's a son of a bitch, but he thinks he's just. I think Bobby sees him as this guy's just a fucking loser. Oh yeah, as opposed to a dangerous uh, uh, an actual person. monster. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how Bobby sees it, and it seems like the type of thing where, like, at a family function of sorts, he's pulled him aside and be like, "You better fucking take care of her. Mm-hmm. You better fix your shit. Yeah, get a job. Yeah, get a fucking life." That kind of thing. Take drugs. Yeah, I because I could pull you in at any time. I know what kind of shit you're into, mm-hmm. and doesn't, and then doesn't tell Becky about it because she doesn't need to know. I don't know. Yeah, it also it could be his own form of enabling sure. that probably the best thing for all people involved, including what's his face, what's his name, Stephen, including Stephen would be to get him off the streets and, like, get him yeah. some kind of help. Not that I think Twin Peaks is necessarily, like, equipped to get him into rehab or sure. whatever he needs. But, like, just leaving him around is not doing anybody any good. And he's trying to leave this thing up to his daughter of, right. like, I want you to sort this out. I'm it's, not going to step in and rescue it's, you. It's an interesting thing. So here's here's how I see the dynamic. His Bobby's approach to this is I don't want to put him away because I don't want Becky to resent me for that. Right. And blame me as though this were my fault that I split up their marriage. Right. Which the blame obviously needs to reside on Stephen for Of that. course. Shelly is just allowing her to do whatever she wants. And it's just this, like, they're, in, they're both in, like, Bobby wants, Bobby wants Becky to do what Bobby did with his life and finally wake up and realize I'm in charge of my life. I need to cut out things that are bad for me and start focusing on my future and, and, you know, living a better life. Shelly wants, Shelly always wanted someone to take care of her. Mm -hmm. Someone to be my mother, to be my father, to be my family, to Mm -hmm. take care of me, to to bail me out when I need it. So that's what she does for Becky. Mm -hmm. So the way they, Bobby grew up and the way that Shelly grew up is how they're trying to parent right. Becky and she's getting pulled Mexico, apart because yeah. of that because she's with this fucking monster. Yeah. Uh, so then we hear a gunshot, which was, I thought, a really... Very surprising. Very surprising um, and also a very realistic reaction from everybody, it yeah. seems. Yeah, absolutely. Of just everybody just, like, fucking hits the deck. Yeah. Which is... You don't, because you don't know where it came from. You don't know. You don't even. Especially when you're inside a place that's all. What the fuck was that? You just hear a gunshot and know it was inside here somewhere. And everybody just just hits the ground, and the. Mm. But we glossed over. She talks to Red, but I think we got the bulk of it right. Yeah, they. 
there. She got Canoodling. very giggly. And then she and, comes back and she's kind of what what also was like, You're staying with me tonight to Becky. You're staying with me tonight. Uh-huh. And then goes out to Red and he's like, We're meeting later, right? And she's like, Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like just forgets about her fucking child yeah, she's because very of this. flighty. Right. Um, anyway. So gunshot. Yeah, I kind of like this idea that like all Shelly wants is to be taken care of and mm-hmm. like cannot find that because she doesn't know how to take care of herself mm-hmm. and you you have to be somewhat responsible. Mm-hmm. And that tracks with somebody who didn't have strong parental values. Values, but you know. Guidance. Guidance, thank you, is better. Um, so the gunshot rings out. Bobby, and what I really liked about this is everybody is a lot smarter than I would be in that situation. <laughs> and that Norma immediately is like, turn off the lights. I'm like, in a thousand years, I wouldn't have thought of turning off the lights, but that makes sense. So you can't see where people are in, so you can't, like, whatever, choose targets. So everybody hits the ground. Bobby pulls out his gun, kind of crawls toward the door. He's, like, I, barking I joked directions. About that I, I thought it was odd that he just has it in his, his waistband. waistband. I feel like he would likely have a weapon on him, but yeah. he would have a holster. Yeah, I would think so, too. He would have a concealed holster of sorts. But anyway. Um... He goes out to investigate. Which, again, shows you, like, how the like he's, I'm going to, now I'm trying to protect my daughter, now I'm going to protect everyone in this. Like, right. he doesn't just cower and call for backup. He goes to investigate what the fuck is happening. Well, like, and I think he's a person who both takes his job extremely seriously and also comes from a place that, like, gunshots in... Gunshots in, like, non-urban and suburban areas are a sort of different kettle of fish. So as somebody, I I lived in a rural area, and, like, gunshots, like, around town wasn't, like, fucking dead wood. Like, everybody's just (laughs) shooting. It's not like a shoot 'em up But, like, gunshots are a pretty common sound Mm -hmm. that you hear. And so generally a gunshot is more like, it's more likely somebody who's trying to scare off a coyote or, like, like pulled a gun on their buddy and is drunk and stupid. It's it's not a drive by shooting. It's not like a you know what it I mean. It doesn't get fired into a building, right? It's it's a mistake probably or drunk people sure. being stupid. So that's why I, that's to me adds a little more to like okay, I hear gunfire. Yes, of course it's dangerous, but He's, like yeah, I don't need the and SWAT it, and team in here. And it's one fire, right? Then there's it seems to stop. So like yeah, okay, I, I can go out now. I think. Um, so Bobby, um, so Bobby goes outside. He starts kind of directing things. Like, he really comes into his own. You really see him be, like, the officer. Yeah, and the man that he has grown up to be. I'm going to need to see IDs from you. Yeah. He's delegating. You go do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this woman to stop honking her horn. Yeah, deputy. Was that getting under your skin? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It really, like, it adds, like, the chaos and, like, the anxiety of this scene. Mm Mm-hmm. Of like he's doing so much to, like it. This whole scene is feels to me like the last several years have felt of like this anxiety of like I'm trying to control what I can control, but there's stupid fucking people out there doing stupid fucking things, yeah. and you can't stop it. And you go out there and you just what you I, manage. I, I'm but and I'm. This is stressing me out, and it's just, stop it. What the fuck do you think you're helping? my exact same emotional reaction to the last episode when um, Candy was screaming. Yeah. Of just like, I can just just shut the fuck, like, I I just simply cannot with this. 
Because it's not a, it's not like, oh, this, like last night when our smoke detector is going on. Like, that's very mm-hmm. anxiety inducing. But there's a huge difference between, like, we can't get that fucking smoke detector to turn off. Then, hey, you human, stop making this noise. Yeah, you can I stop. I can see you. You can stop. I can see your hand yeah. hitting the wheel. And, like, the way he does, like, and then, yeah, he, you know, Jesse, Deputy Jesse comes up from out of fucking nowhere. I Where was did over, he come from? I was over at Big Ed's, ga- Big Ed's gas farm. And I heard shots. Oh, God, he's the best. And then even that, like, Bobby's reaction to all of it, he kind of looks at him like... Yeah, yeah, we all did, bud. Okay. Do you want to All right, well, I guess since you're here, get IDs from these. We're going to need statements. Apparently, the kid found a gun in the back seat, mm-hmm. shot through the window, It entered the Double R Diner. And then, like, the kid, obviously, they're, you know, they're... <sighs> And no subtle reference, the way the kid is standing and what he's wearing is exactly like his father. So more parenting of like, be like, I don't fucking care, which is exactly how his father trained him to be. Yeah, this stance that this kid hits is amazing. Yeah, just the toxic masculinity at such a young fucking age Mm -hmm. of like, nah, man. Oh, yeah, that's where it, uh, that's where it. And that's absolutely what is what, what's happening. And like the way Bobby's looking at him, like. What the fuck, dude? Like, mm-hmm. like so. Do you like, not feel any? Do you? What the fuck? You could have killed like, someone. Yeah, and if he's not his kid. He can't like reprimand right. this. Right. Well, I guess he could. Um, but the other thing is, there is. I really liked the interaction immediately after in the aftermath of the shot when the cops come out of the mom screaming at the dad. Presumably, this mm-hmm. is their relationship of like, you just fucking left the gun mm-hmm. in the car loose. Like I never would because she moved mm-hmm. it. Not realizing what it was, which LOL, I don't have that many hard metal objects in my in my car that I would notice. I mean, if you've got like toy kids, toy like things in your car, Guns I don't are know. Very heavy, sure. Um, but it's just like I never would have done X, Y, and Z if I had known a gun was just rattling around in our minivan, right? <laughs> which is fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, the two and the guys just like whatever. The bitch. two boys uh. in the family, the. Dad yeah, and son not are my both, fault. Yeah, are, the two people who are one hundred percent at fault, right, are the two claiming not my fault. Toxic masculinity, and everybody else is losing their minds around them because yeah. it's because this sort of point of view they have is well, nobody actively died this time, so I don't understand what we're all worried about. Right, which is a really even even that I don't think is even if somebody got shot, you think they'd have the same? Yeah, shouldn't have been there. Shouldn't yeah, have been well, it's there. not especially the guy. Because the kid is young, doesn't know any better. And right. the guy would say, well, it's not my fault he did that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, everything is about punting the blame. Right. Um, so, Bobby goes over to this woman's car who's just fucking The lame. way he goes around the car, though, like, when he's got his head down, looking into the window, and he's like, hey, fucking stop. And he, like, pounds a couple of times on her trunk, like, fucking stop it. Why are you doing, they can't go any, what are yeah. you? This Bobby to me Ugh. in a in a universe that we're living in that cops suck. Bobby feels like the kind of cop it's, we uh, need. It's, <laughs> like right, 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 like right. Yeah, and I think maybe that's why we because I've been thinking a lot about like I still watch a lot of police procedurals and things like that, mm-hmm. even though I am not generally supportive of the police and especially the police unions. But well, I still go back and like I, I mean, want them to crack the case. <laughs> They all, I mean, they, they show, I mean, they show cops in the most, po- like TV and movies show cops in the most positive light possible, yeah. obviously, unless it's, 
specifically design like the dis- for... descendants nope what's the boston one? Oh, departed departed but like yeah unless it's like you're making a movie you know about dirty cops bad lieutenant or some shit um unless that's the movie you're trying to make the assumption is like they're gonna save the day or even if they fudge the laws, it's all in the name of the greater good. Right. It's to get the bad guy. Right. And now it's like, we'll fudge the law. Whoa, I just shot a guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's not funny. I just laugh at an appropriate thing. So he, um, so then he gets to the driver's side and she, they're screaming at each other. I genuinely like clock out because I can't, like that, that franticness causes a great amount of and, anxiety. And Bobby doesn't say anything during this scene because... She's what just, the fuck do you say? Right. She's just babbling. It's past 630. We were supposed to be there. It, uh, just repeating that shit over and over and over again. Which is sort of an interesting thing that Lynch does once in a while that like, I don't know if Lynch thought it all the way through, but you definitely get the idea of like, this woman has a whole fucking storyline going on that we're never going to hear about Mm -hmm. because it's not part of the story we're telling right now. Mm -hmm. But every person you meet in this town and maybe every person you meet in your life is somebody who's going through something. And then, and then this little girl pops up Mm. and is like spitting up like disgusting oh, like bile so and like and like sits and that's up not very she... zombie like arms up Genuinely, first like wrists limp wristed yeah like yeah it was what is this like is this it feels like this has got to be a metaphor for something or I did not like is this it. just I did like not understand what it was supposed to mean. the decaying like these shitty people are decaying our children or like what is this saying I have no idea because I have an idea of what it's the there. kid's shooting the gun. Like, I get that messaging. This one, I... Is it that even when people are really angry, maybe it's because they're scared? I don't... I, like, I have that's no... Yeah, the I first have thing no I idea. Of. But, like, why does, why does everyone freak out about this thing, but, like, not this girl who's clearly, like, dying in the passenger seat yeah. of this car? Yeah. Like, what... And then that just... It ends. Then the scene just ends. And we don't hear anything else about it. As far as I know, as far as yeah. I can remember, no, which is yeah. not much. So we are back in the Twin Peaks station house. Hawk and Frank are, um, they are discussing their destination given by Mayor Major Briggs. And I do not understand that sentence. Discussing their destination? They're, the, where they're going to go, the whole Jackrabbit's Palace. We, oh, in, in a couple of days, we're supposed to go to this location. Oh, okay. They're going to go there. So Hawk pulls out this map to explain, like, what we need to and know for this little this journey. And he rolls out very, like... Calls it a living map. Which, I from what I understand, I, is a thing in, cer- in, culture, in certain cultures, like... I mean, I understand the concept of a living map, but this felt much more magical to me. Yeah, and... Because he I, said something about, like, no matter what, whatever, it's going to be on here. Right. It, that so that felt very like spiritual and magical. And that yeah, and that's I go back and forth because I do like the things that happen in this scene, but I don't like that this is the first time a great, strong Native American character for the first time gets relegated to the magical Indian. You know what I mean? I and would I, argue that, and I like I think they. I don't think they push him over the edge into like 
this cartoonish stereotype or some shit. I would shit. argue that that happened as soon as she said, as soon as Margaret said it has to do with your heritage. That to me immediately Yeah, but then the result to- of that is that he finds an, a, a Nez Perce wooden nickel or whatever, the buffalo nickel. You yeah, know what I mean? Like yeah, that has okay, to do with his heritage. That's not your heritage is magical and you... Yeah, that's fair. You know, this is talking about like weird kind of magical shit mm-hmm. and... But it's vague enough that it isn't like if you're standing in the right place at the right time, this magical and ancestor also, will save the day for you, or well, you know, also, some it's not shit. But. The only time we see magic happen, right? The only magic we right. see in the show is not surrounding Hawk. It's right. touches everybody in some way. Yeah. So I but guess it's, that's the, it's but just yeah, the the yeah the it's an uncomfortable stereotype that we sort of have to and it's yeah deal it's with. Michael Horace explaining this to the white man mm-hmm. who's like is this good yeah it like and it's so like like doesn't even like full sentence he's just like good at one point you know what I mean like it's <laughs> yeah. just like I'm the dumb white man yeah which it's it's it 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 goes right up to the line I don't think it's bad. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really crosses over into being like no, I don't think racist and that realm. Yeah. But it doesn't reduce him to a caricature. Right. But it it, it it's could. a step back. Yeah. It's a step back from what was otherwise a strong character who happened to be Native American. Yeah. And now all of a sudden his Native Americanness plays sure. in such a way that that seems caricature-ish mm-hmm. adjacent I guess uh, so Frank focuses on these symbols that are all over the map including a campfire and black corn Hawk says the fire represents a modern day utility such as electricity the black corn represents sustenance and the two can be combined to create quote black fire Frank inquires about a bizarre symbol hovering over the mountains um, and it's the same one we saw on the doppelganger's playing card and on Mayor Briggs's message also a similar shape to what we saw in the floating white figure yeah, in it's episode it's the experiment the experiment um, so it's that big round head I'll call it with like tiny little tiny ears. little devil horns or yeah. ears or whatever um, he's advised that he does not want to know about it by Hawk and yeah. then guess what we don't know about it. We don't know about it. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's never stated clearly. Right. Yeah. Um, Lucy patches through the call for Margaret. This did feel like my least favorite Lucy is quirky moment. Okay, go ahead, finish your thought. Because she just buzzes it, doesn't say like, hello. She just says, it's so weird. I was talking about furniture or whatever. And it's like, what? The only thing about the quirkiness of this one is that I think think this is another timeline clue if you want it because she, i think this is ostensibly she's sitting outside with andy deciding on right i think this is chair. at some point later in the day because this is night time or whatever this is evening i think this is around the same time that she's looking for that chairs with okay. andy and she's still having that discussion or right before she purchases it she's having the discussion with andy about what chairs to purchase sure I think. I mean that. But again, it's a loose timeline flag. Um, So uh, Lucy says that she has a call in from Margaret, um, who knows immediately that Hawk found something. Uh, Margaret tells him that the fire, there is, he's, Margaret tells him that there is fire where he's going. Hello, Margaret. Hawk? Can you hear me? Yes, Margaret. Hawk? 
Can you hear me? Yes, Margaret. You found something, didn't you? It's just like you said. I'm sorry. I, I should have let you know. What did you find, Hawk? Margaret, I can't tell you that. My log is afraid of fire. There's fire where you are going. Hawk, there's fire where you are going. Okay, Margaret. Good night, Hawk. Good night. And thank you, Margaret. Yeah, so she also lays out like can you the the when she repeats can you hear me hawk is beautiful i can you hear me hawk yes margaret can you hear me hawk i don't yes, know that margaret. anybody does that as well as david lynch of like are you okay are you okay like, like the, the 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 yeah the formal like the formal this is what you say to somebody how are you versus how are you doing mm-hmm and he both writes them and directs them in a very masterful way that without hitting you over the head with it feels very and again it's another it's another repeated line those mm-hmm. are always tend to be important mm-hmm. you know um sh- 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 and then <laughs> our friend deputy holcomb enters and asks if frank wants to see his new car and frank is like not right now again and then this is i think another joke at the timeline thing because he says, do you want to see my new car? It's a 2000. And then it cuts them off. off. Yeah. And um, you're like, oh, so the, is this. They're fucking with us. 2015. Is this 2020? Is yeah. this. What year is this? Yeah. 2001. Um, so. And he's like, yeah. It's a great can button. I, yeah. Can I see it tomorrow? Can we see it tomorrow? It's. And like. He, like <sighs> it's almost parental again. Of like dealing with a child like. Thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that this is important to you, but how about I see it tomorrow? Won't that be fun? You know, like it's... There's... I have been watching Ted Lasso recently. I watched it the other night because I was feeling sad and it's a show I really like. And there's one scene that they're all trying to do like conflict. First of all, if you haven't watched Ted Lasso and you have access to Apple television, Apple TV, whatever it's called, it's so good. I can't recommend it enough. But there's Ted Lasso's whole thing is he's a very kind and generous person and wants the best for everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's this one scene that he's talking to two people and there a lot is happening. It's really high tension. And his buddy Nate tries to like slip in some like, actually, when they say this, they means and he just doesn't even look, doesn't break eye contact with what he's doing, but he just puts a hand on Nate's arm and says, I appreciate appreciate Nate, but now's not the time. And it's my favorite line because it's such a good like, mm-hmm. you need to shut up, but I want you to know I'm not mad. Mm-hmm. This is just not, you're not reading the room right. And I like that is to me like the perfect encapsulation of a leader. Yeah. Of like, listen, I am shutting you down, but it's not because I don't like you. It's just we're we're gonna back burner that for a mm-hmm. second. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what this reminded me of like great i'll see it tomorrow i'm gonna finish this yeah. very important thing that i'm doing it's and then we'll do fun cars like there's a lot of parental themes in this episode mm-hmm. or just leader theme because like that you're, that's a too. good quiet leader mm-hmm. also bobby takes charge and is leading that whole scene the little boy was a leader of his brothers 
Yeah. Like mm, it's okay. maybe, maybe we're interchanging parent and leader. Familiar, yeah. But, but yeah, the way people take ownership of a situation and, and really lead when required to mm-hmm. happens, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so even, even the log lady is saying, you know, I'm giving you information. Mm-hmm. You need to follow this. Mm-hmm. All right. So our next scene, uh, Gordon's hand is shaking and he asks to see Albert's cat photo. on a hot tin roof. Sees, and he asks to see Albert's photo of the coordinates on Ruth's arm. Um, he asks what the coordinates are. Uh, Albert says that, but as Albert answers, they are interrupted by Preston Mackley bringing donuts and coffee. Uh, Mackley says that the body was confirmed as Ruth, but there's no trace of Briggs' head or any leads on Hastings' death, which is not surprising because his head just kind of imploded. Because they kind of say, like, there were no shots fired, and everyone was like, no, yeah, we know. Briggs, this. Major Briggs' head, not Hastings' head. Oh, wait, are you, are you, what are you surprised by? I thought you were saying you were surprised that they didn't find Briggs' head because... They found no trace of Briggs' head right. or any leads on Hastings' death. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And that's why I said, like, it's not surprising they didn't find leads on Hastings' death. Because at right. one point they said, well, there were no shots fired. Yeah, there. And everybody said, like... It's not a gunshot. Yeah. yeah we, don't know, we don't know what happened. They're still cleaning the car, too. But, like, this is also one of the... A great... Albert... Uh, or, um... Gordon Cole misinterpretation, which I love. He does the... First of all, he does the hand thing, which mm-hmm. is the first time we've seen a handshaking since, like, the end of season two when there was that... The like that R- tremor that Yeah, the Double R Diner patron who does that, and then Cooper, Cooper does, does it, it at yeah. one point. Um, now Gordon Cole is doing it. We never really get any... Pete it happens to Pete, too, at the end of season two. Yes. Um, so this is the fourth time we see that. No explanation. No explanation. But yeah, uh, cat on a cat on a hot tin roof, and then Albert sees that and says, "Maybe decaf, or maybe some more milk for the cat." Yeah, as to say, maybe you've had way too fucking much caffeine, right? And it's a great. And he's a, maybe maybe some warm milk for the cat. And and Cole looks at him like what? And he says, "On the roof." Yeah, Ruth. Like and like goes right back and it's like God damn it I'm trying to help you yeah and it seems like another one of those moments where like Cole heard him mm-hmm. Cole understood him mm-hmm. Cole is playing dumb because I want more fucking coffee yeah um Gordon and Albert tell the rest about the woodsman whom Diane says she might have seen exit Mackley's car um Gordon describes his vision of the dirty bearded <laughs> then- man. And then Mackley says, like, I was in the car. Nobody exited the car. And she was like, I said I didn't know for sure. Like, so, like, what the fuck, man? No suspects were found in the area. It's a positive ID on Ruth Davenport. I don't suppose you found Major Briggs' head anywhere. We looked. No trace. Nobody heard anything. No shots. Bullet didn't do that to Hastings. Yeah, they're still cleaning the vehicle. We saw somebody, Albert and I, out back. Out back where we found Ruth Davenport's body. What did he look like? He looked like a homeless man. Uh, Old clothes, beard, wool cap. I think I saw somebody like that getting out of the police car. I, I, I could be mistaken. Well, I was in the car. I didn't see anybody. 
I didn't see anyone either. Well, I, I said I wasn't sure. I love that Diane is here deeply against her will and she's gonna help, but the second you push back on her, like, I don't fucking know. But also, like, maybe not. Yeah. Because she might be actively sabotaging oh, this shit. Oh, good point. Oh, yeah, because I don't know if they can trust her. Right. She She's Have making up. Have you confronted a, I, her over that? No. Oh. Okay. So you get a great glance from Albert in this scene when Albert shows Gordon the the coordinates picture mm-hmm. or the coordinates written on Ruth's arm and Diane looks at it and she's doing like a, a memorization technique of like coordinates. Like she's co is four. Like she's, oh. I, I took that as a memorization technique huh. of I'm trying, like you just threw a bunch of numbers at me. I have to somehow memorize them. Yeah. Memory loss. I'm, I'm using a, a, mem- a memorization technique, mm-hmm. a mnemonic device to do that. And Albert looks up at her and she's like making the mouth movements. Uh-huh. And he's like, okay. And then kind of pulls the picture away. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I, mm-hmm. ooh, I could go for a cigarette. Yeah. Like just changes the subject. Mm-hmm. And then you get a great like, this coffee is good. God damn it! I really need a cigarette. And he's like, "Ah, smoke them if you got them." Like, I I fucking love Mackley. He's he is a little bit of a throwaway character the first time or two you see this, and then just the more I see it, he's delightful. Mm-hmm. His moment when the head blows up is just like, ah, God! like it's so yeah, it's borderline comical, yeah. but also like sincere of like, yeah. what the fuck is happening? It's all so good. He's he's a, a very sad loss because he's in, incredible very in this show. Um, so we go back to Lucky 7 Insurance. So we're back in Las Vegas. Bushnell Mullins calls Dougie into his office. And Phil Bisbee brings him along with coffee. Love Phil Bisbee. Just, Any little glance like of Phil Bisbee we get. He's walking backwards with a coffee, like leading him like a dog. Oh, it's so funny. Um... Mullins tells Cooper that his work revealed organized crime via as many fucking weird weird boxing hieroglyphs yeah boxing references as he can make oh like, yes, yes everything yes, yes. is like oh you step into the ring with these guys I don't stay against the ropes for yeah. long like everything and of course is Dougie is just boxing. like blank eyed staring at him like yeah, I yeah. don't know someone or... else um so he says that he, uh, Cooper's work or Dougie's work revealed um, that there is organized crime happening the police is corrupt there's corruption within their insurance company mm-hmm. like shit's gonna pop and up someone soon. else is calling the shots yeah um which presumably in in this scenario we, we know is duncan todd right um but who's calling the shots for duncan todd that we don't know we do not know presumably mr. Pres- presumably mr c but i don't know that we get absolute confirmation on that Mullins says that the Meacham brothers have called asking to meet with Dougie um, and that Dougie will then prepare a check. So this I was confused by. So what was the original guy's name? Um, The original agent? uh, Anthony Sinclair. Sinclair. Um, Tom Sizemore, that one? Yes. Okay. So Sinclair had called this fire arson. And therefore said they wouldn't get an insurance payout on it, right? Right. And then somehow Dougie 
you know, lined up the stars and made Mullins or whomever realize that, oh, no, it was just an accidental fire. So we do have to pay them out. Right. Is that, that correct? That's the information that came. So this goes back to Dougie saying you're lying about in that boardroom scene of in like Sinclair. Yes. Sinclair is just dirt. He's he's cooking books and whatever and, mm. and, and paying out or the wrong people and whatever. And um, all the doodles that, that Cooper makes on all the case files essentially shine light on this for Bushnell who says, oh shit, yeah, this, this is, is deep. This, this isn't, it turns out like we wrote this off as arson. It turns out it wasn't arson. Mm-hmm. This should be paid out. Mm-hmm. Good thing I took out this second insurance. Like all of this work, like, but I, I love how excited he gets. I love when Bushnell's waiting for him to come in and he's doing like those desk push ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, every, Bushnell's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also gives you an idea of like what a big fucking scam the insurance industry is. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if like, we have to pay out $30 million, that don't fucking worry. ruins us. Yeah. We have to, so you're thinking, and he does the thing where he's. <laughs> We're like every trope in a cartoon or cartoon in any show when like somebody's talking to the person behind them and it's not the person they think they're talking yeah. to. So they're like, you might be thinking this. Well, I think this. But he's doing that with Dougie right in front of him who's just like responding yeah. in one word answers. Um, but he says, um, you might think that the $30 million payout is going to sink us and that's bad news. Good news though. I took an insurance benefit on our insurance and now this people. And it's just like, oh, so money is. I a f- can't stay against the ropes for long. Like, yeah. Oh, so are you saying money is bullshit and this is yeah. all just nonsense it's... and people dying of hunger are. And, and these, all of this is, I like, again, I don't, I, I always complain that people don't give. Frost credit and Lynch credit for the collaboration, but I see scenes like this and I was like, this is 100% Mark Frost <laughs> just railing yeah. at capitalism. Like, there was something, I don't know if we've passed it already, but there was something that I just looked at you as like, oh, the woman in the car. The the woman oh, screaming in the yes. car is, is 100% David Lynch. Just because there are just words that he uses and rhythms that he uses. Yeah. And I, don't, I can't tell and, you them and right now. It, it isn't like, it isn't even like, oh, just say these things and repeat them. That'll work perfect. It's it's a monologue. It's but it's also like he went in and said like, and then put a three second pause between when you say we're gonna be late. Yeah, like whatever the line. Like it's all very particular yeah. too, but it, but also it, sounds very odd. Oh, it makes me and wonder if, yeah. if David Lynch read the lines into a uh, something yeah. into like his phone or something and said, "Just repeat them exactly how I that. said them." He famously doesn't do that. Oh, funny. He doesn't like to. Is that woman anybody? Is she like? I don't know. Because she yeah. like delivers with the same cadence yeah. as as she like. Lynch loves to just make like he'll tell you to put spaces and draw things out and longer or shorter, but just like. When he'll like, you'll do it. You'll give a line reading, and he'll be like, "Now think about it, like, like you're in a bubble and you're floating over a cloud. Imagine and it's like, more purple. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and like, and you'll be like, okay. Which is, it's funny, like as. But but I think actors love that because whenever you hear actors talking about their work with David Lynch, they're like, I fucking love it. Because he gives you the freedom to to make your own choices. Well, and he's making art instead right. of you know, a but commercial he gives, product. But he gives, he uses you as a tool, mm-hmm. but then also allows you 
to y- utilize, you know, or make your own choices, choices within that. It isn't, it isn't, you know, a, a stern director mm-hmm. telling you exactly how to do something like, oh, we're like, you know, with David Fincher, we're going to do this 150 times mm-hmm. b- because Ooh, I still might watch Zodiac again. Did I tell that story of I had watched Zodiac and then wait, tell the story about the first time you saw Zodiac and why you hated it for like 15 years. Because when you saw it in the theaters, just, you couldn't... Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I love this story. So Mikey and I are both fans of David Fincher. Uh, yeah, for the most part. I did not care for Mank, but... Oh, Mank was a pile of steaming hot garbage. I, it wasn't that bad, it was. I don't think. But there's been a, a trend, I feel like, and I'm wondering how much of it is on me. Because a lot of like prolific directors, most recent work that I get excited about or whatever, I hate it. Like I, I liked. I thought I liked Scorsese. I honestly think Irishman is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. The year Irishman came Mank out, Mank came out, and I was really excited for it. And I was like, "This movie kind of sucks." I hated like Mank. like I hated the Mank. the last two or three movies of Paul Thomas Anderson. I've I haven't even been able to watch. What's PTA come out with recently? Uh, most recent was Phantom Thread. Oh, uh, which before is one that of those was Inherent that Vice, t- which I couldn't watch. I want to say that every time. Um, Phantom Thread pops up anywhere. Mikey makes a point to be like, "I will never watch that." I, I don't know what no it is about that movie it. that like it's fucking gets your hackles it, up. It's 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 because Paul I, Paul Thomas Anderson is one that is um, it like our shit It, it but Paul Thomas Anderson kind of bugs me because it's I liked Heart Eight. That's his first movie. Okay, and I was like, "Oh, hey, this movie," and it's. A young director who like ooh keep an eye on this guy. This mm-hmm. is makes some interesting. Did you just married to Maya Rudolph? Yeah, um, that must be the dopest marriage. Yeah, like this movie's great. It's got some good. Keep an eye on this director. That kind of mm-hmm. thing. Then Boogie Nights come out, and Boogie Nights is incredible. I fucking love Boogie I like Nights. Boogie Nights, yeah. Boogie Nights is a wonderful movie. Magnolia was really good for a little while. I don't think it really holds well, up Michael, that well. Well, Michael, it's seven and a half hours long, so... It's, it's long, and it's... it's uh, all right. Tom Chris says cunt too many times for me sure. to feel comfortable with. And not even, like, just calling someone a cunt. He's... Refer- yeah. Yeah. Referring to women as cunts? Yeah. No, he's and referring their to cunt? cunts as... Oh, as vaginas? Yeah. Ugh. Like, also... Anyway. Magnolia's fine. I love Punch Drunk Love. I think Punch Drunk Love is weird and quirky and different and I think Paul, Ta- like I think um, Philip Seymour that Hoffman. Again. That's his single best role he's ever done. Really? I fucking love Philip Seymour Hoffman in that movie. Okay. So 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 good. Do you want to watch that tonight? I've never seen you this excited about anything. I I, I think I've seen it once, but, but I don't I really go, remember. Then it. you get into like I was underwhelmed by There Will Be Blood and the film world and you know cinephiles all Shut over the place. Shut the pants over it. Love that movie. I, I didn't care for it that much, and I thought, okay, well, maybe it just didn't hit me. And then, like, The Master came out, and I was like, this movie's garbage. I, I want to watch The And Master. then people just keep piling on the praise, and I'm like, this guy's getting worse as he gets older and is getting more recognition for it, and I don't understand it because I don't think The Master's very good. I found Inherent Vice to be unwatchable. Mm-hmm. I don't think I and I, I think... Again, you get into Phantom Thread, and I was like, I just don't care to see this. This looks like pretentious garbage. I I do want to watch The Master, just like, and I know you've made it clear that it's, you're not a fan of it, but 
It I, that's feels... the thing. I want to like it because so many people whose opinions I respect right. it like was... it. It isn't just like, oh, well, people love this, but I Well, know, it just whatever. feels like in my crosshairs of like Philip Seymour Hoffman meets cult leader. And like, that's something I'm interested in seeing. Sure. I'm, 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 I'm realizing too, I, I think I don't like Joaquin Phoenix. Um, yeah, I'm fine. I'm trying to think of a way to dispute that, and I can't. I've never, I've never liked Joaquin Phoenix. I've always found him pretentious. I, and I, like I agree. Kind of and I think, I think every time I, he doesn't, like a good actor to me falls into a role and I don't notice them. And I feel like I'm always watching Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix act. Did I just see something with him in it? I, I do like, you were never really there. I liked, I think he's good in that. Um, I've never heard of You Were Never Really There. It's a good movie. It's uh, Walk the Line. I remember being Yeah, okay. Walk the Line. I remember liking at the time, but I was also, it was, that nice. movie was smart enough to come out at the exact right time when like there was this weird, sure, like rockabilly boom and everyone Are was you, super into what, Johnny Cash. What were you saying that you didn't like? I'm Still Here? You Were Never Really There. I did like. But, and I'm Still Here is a different movie from that? I'm Still Here is a different movie. From you were never really there. Yeah. Are they related to each other? I no, they're not. How, how fucking dare you? <laughs> I genuinely thought you were just like stringing no. together some <laughs> some adverbs. Um. <laughs> I never, I never even con- connected those two. Wait, remind me, you did or did not like him in the village? Fuck you. No, no, no. Fuck you, Jessica. <laughs> Straight out of the mouth of fucking Diane. Fuck you, Jessica. Um, I remember when Leslie, one of my, oh, who was a guest on this, mm-hmm. I remember that she was like one of my first friends who was like into movies <laughs> in a way, in the way that like you are. Like she brought, she and her. Well, and boy- her boyfriend is. No, no, this is when we were in work- college. Huh? Um, and she and her then boyfriend. Um, like they Jack's one me- of those who's like, dude, watch There Will Be Blood Again. Like, yeah. do me a favor and do that. And um, I just haven't since. But Leslie saw it when we, I remember so specifically, like, sitting outside waiting for our English class to start. Um, and she said, and she, anyway, she and um, her then boyfriend brought me to see Darjeeling Limited, which is the mm. first of his movies. And his name Wes is. Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. That was the first Wes Anderson movie I saw. Like, that just wasn't, like, and I wasn't. He's another one who I think that was the start of the downfall of his career. I. Was, you hate Darjeeling. Well, the thing I is, don't like, my like, first. But I thought, to me, Darjeeling Limited was just, ah, okay. But you also don't like people um, make what's a, his face. Who? Um, oh, Adrian, Adrian Brody. Brody. You don't like, don't him, like either. him either. I think he feels like he's always acting to me also. Yeah. Which is why The Village is maybe so bad. Yeah, um, it's not a great combination right. for you. But Darling, Darjeeling is one of those that, nah, I just, I saw in the theater. I've maybe seen it once since. Uh, it was like, okay, this is the weak point for... Wes Anderson and I since then I don't remember the exact order I don't remember Fantastic Mr. Fox is before or after that but I liked that I, lo- I love Life Aquatic that's my favorite Wes Anderson do you remember when we kept trying to watch um, but Fantastic I hate- Mr. Fox and the DVD wouldn't work oh yeah I haven't tried never it, seen it in the new player I'll try to <laughs> yeah but I like Fantastic Mr. Fox I like Moonrise Kingdom, I think that was the last good movie he's made because mm-hmm. I don't think Isle of Dogs was any good. And again, people credit. Uh, there's a bunch of like Instagram feeds I follow of like synagogue and like all these, you know, cinematographer mm-hmm. 
Instagram accounts where they show you cool shots or cool behind the scenes moments and stuff. And Grand Budapest Hotel shows up all the fucking time. I've tried to watch it like two times. I just find it boring as fuck. I remember uninteresting, vaguely enjoying unfunny. it in theaters. There's some great like camera movement and stuff like that, but it feels like a fucking parody of a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, I, it's bad. But honestly, to me, that's why I feel like about a lot of Wes Anderson is that sure. it just all feel, needs- it's so it's so um, uh, stylized right. that it's it's like he's picking the aesthetic over sure. an interesting Absolutely. story. To and know. I think. And that's even stories. To me, it's about characters. And I think the characters in The Life Aquatic are incredible. The characters in, like, the the dynamic between the two two main characters of Moonrise Kingdom, I think, are fantastic. I love that. The two kids? Yeah. They're great. And then, and then Bruce Willis and Ed Norton come in, and I think they're hilarious. Mm-hmm. And they add to the. You love seeing. I like seeing those two guys do comedy. Yeah. We don't see them do as much. It's anymore. fun seeing some of these guys show up and do these things. I just. Grand Budapest Hotel is just, like I even bought it recently because I was like I want to. Mikey I, does have this thing of even if he didn't like something in theater, I want to try it again, he, he, and I buy it, this, forcing me to do it. And I have since sold it back to Disc Replay because I'm never gonna watch this again because it is not a good movie. It's very quixotic of you, I think, of you really want to it's like very what? All, quixotic, like Don Quixote. Oh, um, so quixotic means like. Um, very idealistic, but maybe not practical. And I think okay. you're very quixotic in that you genuinely love movies and you genuinely want to like movies mm-hmm. and want to find the good in things. Mm-hmm. You are one of the few people I know, except for I did it, I did it recently <laughs> with, with a witch, but you're one of the few people I know who will see something in a theater and be like, hated that. I'm going to give it another try. Whereas I think most people yeah. are like, hey, it wasn't for either. They'll be like, it's a piece of shit because they think their opin- opinion is objective. Or, yeah. hey, it wasn't for me. No big deal. Which I say about mm, 75% of movies I, just, I see. I, I, it's again, like this, this goes back to like what we were talking about. The anxiety of like the Bobby scene of like, I feel this stress of like what's going on that I can't control. Like, mm. I feel like there's a lot of movies that have been coming out. Or it's mostly been in the last several years mm-hmm. that the world loves critics love my friends love Mm -hmm. and i watch it and i'll watch it two or three times because what the fuck am i missing but fury road you guys is fucking garbage (laughs) top to bottom that movie is absolute shit michael i think we need to work on our subjective language nope that movie is garbage irishman is crap it was not Grand a movie Budapest that Hotel Michael enjoyed. Sucks. It wasn't for like there's Michael movies Gray. that like the entire world loves that I just I and you I, think you're the only objective voice in the entire no, world. No, but my my point is, you know what I mean. But I'm watching. These, I'm I do know what you mean, and that's why I'm pushing back. I know, but I'm watching these movies, and I genuinely, for the life of me, and I, I'm you know I'm not a f- film scholar or whatever, but I can't find a single redeeming thing <laughs> in Fury Road. Yeah. No, I didn't like it either. I, I, I can't I find didn't like it a single redeeming thing in The Irish, except maybe Joe Pesci. Mm-hmm. I think Joe Pesci gives a good performance in The Irishman. Outside of that, I think it's well, it's a waste of my... It's, it's not good. It's yeah. not... The characters are weak. The acting is weak. The... The visual effects are are objectively bad. Like, I I don't. 
I listen. Uh, and I, and it and it and it comes from a place of like I want to fucking love this movie, and I what the fuck is wrong with me that I can't see mm-hmm. why the entire world loves? And it's not like La La Land or Crash or these movies that do well at the Oscars, mm-hmm. but the world is like, yeah, that was just kind of dumb. Did you? Or or the Crash, which was bad. Yeah, which I yeah. have four things I want to say. The first one is: Have you seen? Never, sometimes, rare, never, rarely, sometimes. Yes. Should I watch that? It's incredible. Okay, because I just on my other podcast, I, um, it's it's like rough stuff. It's not rough. In like there, it's it's a movie that like I want to pierce through my screen and hug everybody. Like it's, I don't know if I have the. It's I'm not there right now. You might struggle. Like that's what I mean. You might struggle with it, but it's 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 a it's a a movie that I just like. It's about a pathetic person. Yeah, it's hard to watch because it's about a young woman who gets pregnant and then has to travel to get an abortion. Right, and that's it. Right, like that's that's. I mean, there's I mean, there's a little more to that, and then then you know what I mean. She gets and then finds out. Oh, I got to do this now, and then I got it. Like it's about all the hurdles that go into. So, getting an abortion but there's one scene in particular where she's talking with the first lady in the first the first lady she sees at um the ab- like, or whatever whatever Generic. like the, the place where they're going to potentially perform the abortion um and you're what and you hear her off camera it's all on the main girl mm-hmm. and just oh it's just just give me i just i'm so sorry for you mm-hmm. like it's it's so good. Apparently. It's so good. Um, and we just talked about this on my other podcast, Friendly Atheist, this past week. I'm willing up thinking about it right you now. You are. Like, your eyes are it's, shimmering. It's, it's a very good movie. Um, I'm also sitting directly in, like, the sunbeam of the window. It's so actually really good. Like, for you, your eyes have looked really blue. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, yesterday I was recording with, with Hammond, my other co-host, <clears throat> and apparently one of the Academy Award judges or whatever wrote mm, have heard you heard about, about this yeah um and i don't know any names she refuses involved, to watch it and i'll i'll link to it not that just that he refuses to watch it he wrote the writer director i think or just director or just writer i'm not sure a letter to her as an academy as an academy member who is voting on her thing as a representative as a representative thank you and saying like i'm not gonna watch this because why the fuck would you do something as write about something as abhorrent as abortion and so as meanwhile war movies win the academy award every fucking year i was 1917 you guys okay i was as hemant was telling me the story i pulled up on my computer just a list of all the best like best picture award winners i heard you down here i didn't hear was yelling i just heard you yelling movie titles and i didn't know what the fuck you were talking about (laughs) at one point i got to chicago and i was like it's literally only about murderers yeah (laughs) So that was a oh, number one. Fuck that. B number two. Have you heard of? What? Seriously, never, rarely, sometimes, always. It, okay. Very, 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 very. It's good. gonna take me. I, you or whomever. It's very good. Have you ever heard of uh, Polly Platt? No. Okay. Um, is that a person or a movie? It is a person. Uh, she's a film producer who worked uh, heavily throughout the um, like late twentieth century. Okay. And is widely acknowledged as like. A huge mentor and collaborator to big name movie producers who gave her no credit. Hmm. And okay. there's a there's a podcast I've listened to a couple seasons of called You Must Remember This, and it's just about 
it's Hollywood stories, hmm. but told from general. So they did a really good, uh, the one I listened to was they did a really good Charlie Manson hmm. miniseries. And it wasn't, it was about Charlie Manson, but it was also about, um, what's her name, who he killed, whose name I cannot think of right now. Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate. And about her place in Hollywood. And then also about uh, Sharon Tate's husband, who is the horrible molester guy who did Rosemary's Polanski. Babies. Polanski. And about his, and so it gives you like, it's 10 episodes long and it gives you so much context of like, now you understand what was happening in the world when Charlie Manson did yeah. his thing. And apparently he did want, uh, apparently this same podcaster, uh, whose name I can't think of off the top of my dome, um, did one on Polly Platt. And I've heard from podcasts I listen to of people who work in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. they say it's like a must listen because it's just hmm. about this woman who was hugely influential, influential in like mid to late 20th like century a- cinema, but nobody's heard of her. It's a little bit like uh, Hitchcock's wife. Yeah, yeah, I think the same idea. And um, Emily Heller is, uh, she's a mm. podcaster that I listen to. I like her. She, yeah, she's great. Um, and she says that this is the like definitive nail in the coffin of like auteur theory. Mm. Um, because what you realize is all of these men were basically propped up by this woman nobody's well, ever heard we of. We had this conversation too recently about um, uh, ghostwriting. Yes, we have. Like a and like because we were watching uh, what AP Bio, yes, and there was an episode where he like oh gets a gig as a ghostwriter for this mm-hmm. whatever novelist. Which if anyone needs to write their their autobiography <laughs> and needs a ghostwriter, I'm a but very I, talented I was writer. Just, I Let was me finish so, my pitch. I'm a very talented writer. Go ahead. I was so baffled by this <laughs> like idea that like you know X named writer will just 100 percent. You, I'll float it. you write this fucking book. I put my name on it. Mm-hmm. Wipe my hands. I'm I'm done. Give me the fucking money well, for I, it. I th- it's that's mind blowing. But that me. comes from a place, and that's that... the same you know idea of like Polly Platt was this mm-hmm. influential, important person. Didn't get credit for it because no. this man wanted to put his fucking name on it. Because I think that you um, are because this is gonna make me sound jaded and sound condescending to you, and I do not mean it to be this. But I think you have always been a part of movies in a very, like, kind of wholesome way. Like, you studied film, and you worked on, like, a couple small, like, things. But... I never worked in the system. You never worked in the system, and the system is how many titles can we bust out, and how much money can we make? And so we used, um, not Steven Spielberg, but Stephen King as an example of, like, what Stephen King just, like, lets other people write his shit, like... Well, the people around Stephen King don't care about the quality of Stephen King's work. Mm. They're worried, like, they're excited that if we put any title under Stephen King, this is Stephen well, King's it, newest you look bit. at the book, is the name Stephen King is bigger than the title of the yeah. book. Yeah, that used to bother me so much yeah. as a kid, but now as an adult, I totally understand well, it's it. it's the idea, like, I, go, I went to film school. They don't teach you about producing. Right, right. They don't, I mean, I'm sure you because don't know Because that is relevant side. to film school. And then you get there, and then you find out, like, Oh shit! This is just people using you as a fucking product. What you need is a film degree and an MBA to like navigate everything. Right, and and you need to like they're gonna tell you like the input producers, which and and then the thing that drives me nuts currently is mm-hmm. when from the producers who brought you fucking Barrow. get out or whatever, and you're like, yeah, that that's not you how, mean Touchstone like, and, like- <laughs> and, unless it's fucking. Any, unless it's a creative element and mm-hmm. the producer is not a fucking creative element, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit 
who the fucking producers right. like there are some there are some studios I tend to like more than others. You yeah, know, like A24 tends A24 to put out. A24 tends to do some good work. Back in the day, it was New Line Cinema. Right. Obviously, Miramax was big for a while. It's since got some, uh, you know, dark dark clouds over it. I don't know. Uh, the, I don't know the, the Miramax is the wine scenes. Oh, I never connected those two things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh. you go back and like anytime you see that. Miramax Logan, it's like, ooh, ooh. it's a colorful, he, His name yeah. does pop up a lot yeah. on, like, early aughts things, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, no. I mean, they produced, also, the fucking everything. Miramax was the king of independent cinema mm-hmm. in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, that that's the birth of your uh, Tarantinos and your Kevin Smiths and mm-hmm. all sorts of different things that were great at that time. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, so then we have a short scene um, with Rodney, who's eating his breakfast, um, and he's joined by his brother. <laughs> Great fucking oh. mouth work in this. Oh. Like, he's eating, he's, quote unquote, chewing the scenery with his acting, but he's acting the fuck out of chewing some, he's chomping around, he's slurping around, he's picking his teeth. I... He's, acting the fuck out of eating cereal it, and I it brings me such joy it gave me I, a flashback I delight, to, I delight in it to being a kid in my house growing up my home's policy was I'm making dinner you're welcome to it if you don't like it make yourself something which I think okay. is a good policy like sure. for for my mom to enact especially like my sure. brother and I were notoriously picky eaters um, and so oftentimes, as a result, I would end up eating cereal for dinner, and my dad would get fucking furious. Stop. Stop slurping. Because when you, you eat, can't. When you it's, eat cereal, it's solids and liquids, so you have to like... Yeah. And it like it's the first time I've ever been like, yeah, I do not blame my dad for getting like... If your asshole kid he, isn't eating like... Because he's not mad at that. He's no. mad at the fact that you're not eating the dinner right. we provided for you. And the sound yeah. that you're making is what's, what's just, pushing yeah. you over the edge. Um, so then he's joined by uh, Bradley, his brother, um, who tells him that he had a dream about killing Douglas Jones. Dougie Jones? Why did I say Douglas? Um, they say Douglas. Oh. They call him Douglas Jones. Because they, they know him because the title they got for him was on the, the, the video... Uh, the, um, news fucking program yes. or whatever gotcha. where he, he was titled as Douglas Jones sure. insurance salesman or whatever sure. so they call him Douglas Jones right um, okay so then we're back uh, at Bushnell Mullins uh, so, I mean that did, was all they had about that oh yeah so they do that basically this is where I mix them up which one's Bradley and which one's Rodney all the time but uh, Belushi Rodney is Belushi. Belushi Bradley just, is Belushi. Fucked it up immediately. Yeah, Belushi keeps talking about how he had this dream, but God damn it, I want to kill Douglas Jones. And then I can't, I can't even eat my raisin bran because I want to kill Douglas Jones. Like, and, I also and can this. you? And they look at the clock like, can you wait three hours because it's two thirty and they're supposed to meet at five thirty? 
can you wait three hours? He's like, I don't know if I can. Like, it's so... I also love this, like, faux luxe breakfast that they have that, like, the milk is in a glass pitcher and there's, yeah. like, a carafe of orange Candy juice. is pouring his coffee for like, him. Like, it's and, so and all this needlessly stuff. bougie and in a way that makes fucking, no sense. And it's, the best is that, like, all... Yeah, it's needlessly bougie, like you said. And then he picks up the raisin bran, pours it in his bowl, and then is, like, reading the back of the box. It like, is a quintessential Lynch. We're just going to take our time with yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. Which, absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just like, it's funny. Oftentimes I agree with Lynch and like I could just watch this person doing X all day. And sometimes it's like, all right, can we get this going? But just once in a while there are moments like these of like, yeah, I just kind of want to watch like two people bickering over breakfast yeah. and like a slice it just, of life. It puts you in the world. Like, it, and it that's the key is he life wants you way. to be... Because I think Lynch, when he imagines this stuff, he imagines himself in that world and he wants to bring you there also. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in a world where something is always happening, that's not real. Right. So there's got to be moments where someone's just sweeping a floor because that's what happens in the world. You know? Yeah. Um, so uh, Dougie is escorted by Mullins. Where? Unclear. They're out of the the main office. They go through the lobby. This is when Cooper then breaks from Mullins and goes into that like coffee shop. Yes. And And Mullins is like, what are you doing? We got to go. It's 530. So yeah, Cooper looks over his shoulder and there's a little storefront. Yeah. And it's got a name. I don't remember what it was. Simons. Simons. With a Z. I was going to say, it's not. S-Z-Y-M-O-N-S. Um, but then where the entrance this is, this is, is where Phil Bisbee gets his coffees from every day. Oh, okay. Um, and then, but where the uh, doorway is is just all the he red sees, room and, he and sees Mike, Mike like, beckoning him, toward yeah, him. Wa- waving him. In. So he starts walking toward him, um, and then he returns with a box, and Mullins takes him to the limousine. So and more like gives him the little like punch on. Oh uh, yeah, like, friendly punch. Go on the get jog. him, kid. Yeah, and like and then Cooper's or. Dougie's like squeezing his face, like, re- like almost feeling like, wait, what? Like the first time he's realizing, like, oh, I'm in this. I have a physical body. body. Yeah, and he's like squeezing his face in this way that's like drawing memories. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And then he sits down in the limo, and the guy turns around and goes, "Red door." And just and Dougie's like, like what? what? And then, like, <laughs> like, should I get out? I don't know what that means. It's great. Uh, and so the Mitchum brothers are standing in the middle of a desert. Uh, they're waiting for Ducky. Um, Bradley continues to kind of expand on his dream. He says that uh, Rodney's cut from candy was healed in his mm-hmm. dream. Um, and at that point, he pulls off the bandage, and lo and behold, it was healed. It was healed. Um, and then there was something else in the dream. But like Cooper's dream in episode three of the original series. Can't quite grab onto it. Can't remember. Um. So then Dougie arrives and is. I loved this like approach of this big stretched limo, and then it's. I think I will always find it off-putting to see like, this limo driver gets up, runs around the limo, opens the door as if he's not escorting a grown man who knows fully how to open doors. <laughs> like honestly, though. I, th- I know that's how it is. That's just shitty rich people. Like, no, no. I honestly I, know yeah, that's how it is. I can't be bothered to do that. Of course. Okay. I know, I'm not saying that this is a thing that doesn't happen in the real world. It's just when that does happen, I'm like, 
So that person is just waiting mm-hmm. in their car at their destination, like, I'm not going to. And in this case, he has to, like, lift him out of the seat. Yeah, yeah. He, he, really, get out himself. he really helps him out. Yeah. Um, so, um, Then Brad- the Mitchums pull aside and he says, like, I see that box. See that box. That's reminding me of a dream. If it's this one certain thing, this one, but it's got to be this one, one certain, certain thing. thing. It one, He says one certain thing, like, eight times. There's something in that box. And if that something is what I saw in my dream, we can't kill him. What the fuck are you talking about? No, I'm not kidding, Rodney. If he's got this one certain thing that's in that box, it means we can't kill him. Why? It means he's not our enemy, Rodney. How the fuck do you know that? I, I'm just telling you what was in the dream. But it's got to be this one certain thing. Ronnie, it's a million one shot. But if it's in there, you've got, you've got to promise me. Listen to me. we got to be together on this. Okay. We won't kill him. Okay, enough. What is it? Okay, what the fuck? In the box there. Is that a cherry pie? Cherry pie. Cherry pie! And he's, and Dougie's carrying not just like a, a pastry box, but a full on like moving box. Yeah, it's box. overly large. I mean, not that large, but yeah. I mean, it's way too big for a pie. Um, and so uh, Bradley sees the box that Dougie holds. He says, so Rodney, at, so Rodney walks over and says, is there a cherry pie in the box? I, the delivery of it is impeccable, though. He pulls the gun. He's pointing the gun at it and goes, is that a cherry pie in the box? Or what, <laughs> like the way he like, like, I I'm can't believe I have this. to ask this. And it's a ridiculous thing to fucking ask. Here we go. But I'm gonna give my brother the benefit of the doubt for like three fucking seconds. Is there a cherry fucking pie in that box? And lo and behold, <laughs> cherry pie. Oh, it's so good. And then he, this whole scene is wonderful. And then as soon as he finds the cherry pie, he's like, oh, and he's like, frisk him anyway. So he frisks him, and lo and behold, that's where they find the thirty find million, the 30 million check. dollar check, which understandably they're pretty excited <laughs> about. I've never howled from being so happy, but have I've you definitely... ever gotten a $30 million check? No, absolutely. No. <laughs> Last time I did, I mean, I howled at like a $20 million check. Yeah. A measly 20 mil. And sorry, just quickly. What did you do with that? Uh, I bought a lot of movies, <laughs> a lot of movies. <laughs> I, Mikey's very I dedicated to physical media. I invested in real estate around 2007. No problems there. Yeah. Keep so talking. I still have it, obviously. <laughs> it's just held up in a, a yeah. condo complex that uh-huh, hasn't uh-huh, been uh-huh. built in 20 years. Um, so we, so I brought this up when we watched this too. Is there a seven reference here? Like the movie no. seven Fincher? I, I genuinely don't think so. I see why you think like, that. Like these that, guys drive wish- out into the middle of nowhere. It's this big overhead wide shot of a, a, a car driving on a road in the middle of nowhere. Then they pull off have this meeting of evil minds who don't know how they relate to each other yet, and then what's in the box? 
Which I hear that and I see why why you could make that connection. Just to and you know Lynch better than me, but Lynch doesn't seem like a person who would necessarily like yeah, tip but his it cap necessarily, to it could be I, I think Frost, it's co- it could be, you know. Yeah, I think it's a coincidence. I think also we, you and I, underestimate, like, outs. I mean, I guess we live in the Midwest, and if you drive in any particular direction, you're going to be in the middle of cornfields. But I think there's so much, like, desert and deserted lands sure, sure. around immediately L.A. It's and Las Vegas. It's just the whole, like, creepy middle-of-nowhere meeting and what's in the boxes. The- yeah. The entire idea of what's no, happening. No, I get it. I, I think it's coincidence, but yeah. if, if somebody told me otherwise, who I, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, so they, the brothers take... In and seven, it's under a bunch of electrical wires. Which yeah, and it wasn't, wasn't it a wasn't desert? Here. Wasn't it more of a grassland? It was a desert, but there was like a weird like half-built Oh, it was like an abandoned construction. Not even construction, like a... Like a fucking what do you call it? Like a mud hut thing. What do you call those? Oh, like, I don't remember that at all. It was like all in I remember the, the electric. There was no electric. Uh, the, no, the the electric wires. They're Not, under like power lines. In seven. Seven. In, oh, in seven. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, seven. There is this. There isn't. Uh, so the brothers take out Dougie. Um, they toast to him. Cooper takes notice of the piano player who begins to play. And so the, I loved this shit with the piano player. I didn't realize we were in a new location yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, we're at the so yeah, we're at the, this, the restaurant. And yeah. it feels very, I mean, it's in Vegas, but it feels like a very like old Hollywood steakhouse oh, kind yeah. of thing. It's like, just with a the big nice Ritz, ritzy place. Yeah. Um, Cooper notices the piano player. I really wish I knew more about david lynch's use of music because i feel like there were themes in what he was playing on the piano that i should have recognized like there was definitely some like subtle themes that we've heard before but i feel like there were i, I don't i don't ne- think i, I picked as far up. as i can tell and you're you're right I, i'm not i'm by no means musically gifted but they're all nude songs none of that that i can that i recognize was anything that existed previously what i'm remembering the 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 song that's a trigger for Cooper or whatever is a, is a new song called Heartbreaking okay from written by Angelo Balamenti and maybe that's all it is is that he's recognizing the world of Twin Peaks also honestly in hindsight I'm wondering and I'm not I I definitely am not 100% sure about this but I feel like the piano is playing in a major key and as soon as he locks eyes with Dougie, he switches into a minor key. Who locks eyes with Dougie? The pianist. He does. I think I thought they made eye contact. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see that. Oh, okay. I, well, I maybe. Thought, I thought maybe this, it's just when Dougie just, clocked him. Heartbreaking down. starts with that one keystroke. Okay. I, I and don't I think know that was a head. trigger that turned maybe his I'm, head. Maybe I'm. Dougie sees the piano player. I did, I never got that the piano player ever looked back. I did, but, but maybe that, that could I be may wrong. have missed it. But. Um, but I mean, regardless of whether or not he... he also don't know who this piano player is. No. Um, but it, from what I'm remembering of the scene, it seemed like... And I'm not... Going... It's not Angelo Battlementi, by the way. Okay. Even though Heartbreaking is credited as written and performed by Angelo Battlementi at the end of the episode. Which he could have performed it. He just wasn't the actor. Right. But, um, but, but that, anyway, that, that created a thing of like, wait, this is... What, is, what does Angelo look like? Mm-hmm. Um, um, anyway, it just seems like as soon as... Either the pianist clocked Dougie or vice versa. Mm-hmm. It, he shifted into minor, minor okay. key. 
but I'm not 100% sure. I'll, I'll see if I can do more. I mean, that tracks. It's Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and then we see the woman from maybe the second or third episode. Um, Mrs. Jackpots is what I call her. Nobody mm-hmm. else does. Um, she oh, She's fine. credited here as Lady Slot Addict. Yeah. that's that's She doesn't have a character name, so. Um, she enters with her son. Myr- Den- Myrtle from Superstore. Yeah. Um, she comes in. She recognizes Dougie as Mr. Jackpots. Goes over to him in a very sweet and earnest way of, you changed my life. Thank you for I'm everything. Here with my grandson, and he. I thought it was just her son. I thought she, uh, she said. I thought she said grandson. Her son. Her son, Denver. He's back in my life again, which yeah. that does give me some pause. Like, oh, all of a sudden your mom is super rich and you're friends with her again. Cool, yeah. cool, 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 cool. No, <laughs> no red flags there. But regardless, she seems delightfully happy and and so grateful to Dougie in a way that's very endearing. Um, and she says something about like. You don't know what an amazing man you're dining with, and one of the Mitchum brothers, Mitchum brothers, says, "Oh, we have an idea." Wink. Yeah, but they're and they're genuinely excited by it. Like this, this change of who the Mitchums are, I think, is delightful too. Mm-hmm. It's like this is again a moment of we talked about this at the beginning of good things happen to those around Dougie. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he's changed these fucking mob guys who were wanting to kill everybody and whatever like you know what's interesting they're now like these good people like here's my question how does Dougie decide that or or whatever the power is that's around Dougie how come these gangsters their best side is brought out by Dougie whereas other people end up dying when they're like the whether or not somebody's a good guy or a bad guy somehow gets decided by either them doing like a face turn or they just sort of like so Sinclair versus the Mitchum brothers Mitchum brothers is what I'm saying Sinclair is gonna get gonna get got because he's in some shady shit these Mitchum brothers also are not 100% above board but for some reason instead of getting called out by Dougie they are like brought into his embrace in a sort of way does that does that question make sense Uh, yes I don't think you remember how Anthony Sinclair's storyline plays out. Correct. Okay. (laughs) Um, I think it requires one-on-one interaction. Okay. And that hasn't really happened yet. So dreams are thematic. When we do get a one-on-one interaction with Dougie and Anthony, Uh Anthony has a come-to-light moment. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Um. Um, but that's in, you know, the next episode, a couple episodes. I don't remember when that play takes place exactly. Um, Mandy, Sandy, and Candy show up. Um, Candy comments on the traffic on the strip. And they're all eating the cherry pie also. And, all and, and the delighting cherry. in it. And they're all drinking out of the very old-timey, old, yeah. the, the old champagne old glasses. champagne glasses, which are... And they keep trying to cheers, and every time they cheers, Dougie, Dougie tries to take it. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 you put yours up. Yeah. But, all, but also, at one point, don't they, like, do cheers, and Dougie grabs, and the guy's like, all right, I'll just grab this one. <laughs> like, Maybe, that's fine. yeah, it's great. Um, and they have another toast, um, and candy brings... There's, and- I, I wanted to drop that line. I love the line of... Uh, Belushi says it where he, where they they do the toast and he says, "Here's to the pie that saved your life, Dougie." Mm-hmm. And it's it's great. I just I think that's a great line of. Yeah. 
and it's like the little like the stupid little things that we loved about Twin Peaks of cherry pie and donuts and coffee and whatever they hold real significance yeah. like this pie a cherry pie saved Cooper's life yeah he can't function in this world properly right now but knew enough to go get a cherry pie and, and the cherry pie everything. is what saved his fucking life because yeah. of the shitty dream he had which presumably was put into his head by Mike this other or... world or whatever yeah um, and then we don't see a, I mean, we, we go back to the pianist. So that's what we see our credits over, but we don't have a roadhouse musical guest here. Right. Um, and that's, you know, there's, a, there's a credit for that's the Therenity for the victims of Hiroshima again, that song that was in part eight, but I don't remember it I don't, in I, this episode. I don't know when it was used and I'm curious because I can look into it. I, I don't recognize that song. Off yeah. Again. I mean, it's a weird, like, it's that song that's just, like, weird, like, weird string noises. Mm-hmm. And it's when you're, like, zooming into the fucking H-bomb uh, the, and stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's it's almost just noise more than song. It's cacophonous. But it's it's interesting, and I don't know how that plays. Okay. I'll look into it. Um, but that's the end of that episode. How long are we? Uh, we're rounding up on two hours. Jesus, still? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are these getting so long? Uh, we're very indulgent. Yeah. Granted, the episodes are a little longer. They are a little bit longer. And also, they're less somehow. Every scene is actually important. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say they're less subtle than the. No, more subtle. More mm, more symbolic. I don't know. There's more layers going on. Yeah. And because less simplistic. Less. Sim- and that's not even to say that. Which, you know, like the original Twin Peaks wasn't simplistic. Also, this is the first time. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But like, you know, this is the first project that we see David Lynch manage from beginning to end. And it is one cohesive piece as opposed to. You know, everything is going to play or specifically not play. Yeah. Um, All right. So that's going to do it for us. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week. <laughs>